Thank you, Austin. <clears throat> we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God. We'll explore this theme in a little more detail as we progress, continue to progress throughout Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, you know, as many folks do throughout the month of January, our sp family spent some of that month organizing and decluttering around the house. Anybody else? For us, this was prompted primarily by the urging of our seven-year-old, who for some reason loves organizing. But Nanette and the girls spent the better part of one day. I, I was gone, um, thankfully. But they spent the better part of one day emptying every cabinet and drawer in our kitchen, cleaning everything out, um, getting rid of donating unneeded items, disposing of uh, unuseful items. It was quite an endeavor. But during that process, they found some remnant coffee that was buried at the back of a cabinet under heaps of various coffee equipment. This coffee had been hiding there for years. We're talking probably four to five years, um, which is fine. Roasted coffee is pretty shelf-stable, so it wasn't that big of a deal, deal. But in my humble opinion, it looked fine, but it was no longer fit for human consumption. You couldn't really tell that anything was wrong with it, but it went right into the garbage. I'm sure we've all faced similar situations where something that we purchased or acquired in order to fulfill a specific role, it decays or gets old and brittle and is no longer able to fulfill that intended purpose. Well, as we continue reading the Sermon on the Mount, we find Jesus suggesting that a danger exists that the same might be true of us no longer living into, no longer fulfilling our intended purpose. Last week, we started this series through Matthew chapter 5, and we started where the sermon starts with the Beatitudes, which describe the nature of God's kingdom. The very next section, what we begin reading today then, reveals that those who follow Jesus and participate in God's kingdom can have a remarkable influence on the rest of the world. Now, I, I want to pump the brakes a little bit here because, to be honest, influence is such a loaded word for me that to the point where I, I sometimes have a visceral reaction against it. Because I think so often that word is used in ways that are contrary to the ethic of God's kingdom. In our cultural context, influence is garnered and maintained uh, through domination or control a lot of times. It is garnered or maintained by directly opposing the wisdom and prescriptions of this sermon. I maintain influence if I run my decisions through the lens of efficiency. Is this getting me what I want? And even if it is hurting somebody else, if it gets me where I'm hoping to go, it doesn't matter all that much. Even if it harms somebody, it is fulfilling that purpose. The Sermon on the Mount, though, 
influence understood through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount rejects that sort of utilitarian view of influence. And still, Jesus says, those who follow me will have influence. So we, we hold that in balance. That's one caveat. The second one is this. Coming right out of the Beatitudes, talk of influence seems rather unrealistic or presumptuous at best. These Palestinian nobodies gathered around Jesus on a mountainside in the first century Roman world are repeatedly promised by the one who will in the very near future face his own death, and he promises those who follow him that they too will face persecution. So the notion that these ragamuffins gathered around Jesus might have any sort of lasting influence in the midst of a hostile world would be laughable if it wasn't so pathetic given the historical context. Or so we might think. If we are looking at this through the lens of conventional wisdom about how to exert influence. But again, this sermon from beginning to end turns everything upside down. Jesus says, yes, you will have influence, but any notion of being influential must have Jesus teaching from the sermon that follows as its starting point. And so we return to the point where we left off last week, verse 13, where Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. In antiquity, there were a variety of uses for salt, two of the primary purposes, of course. One of those is still really important in our day especially for popcorn lovers, right? Salt enhances flavor. It's difficult to imagine a world without salty popcorn. We've all probably had that experience of diving into a dish that smells incredible, but as soon as you taste it, you realize something is off. It's a bit bland. There's, there's something missing. Salt enhances flavor. Historically, of course, it has also maybe even primarily been used as a preservative and still is today, though that use is markedly less important than it has been in history with the advent of reliable refrigeration. But what does this image of salt imply if we keep these two purposes of preservative and enhancement in mind? You are the salt of the earth. I think in part it has to do with the fact that if the community that is gathered around Jesus embodies his teaching and truly enters his life, while the world around may experience decay or be on a path that seems like irreversible rot, salt has the ability to stop or prevent or slow decay. 
We, we have the ability to offer an alternative and in offering that alternative to preserve what is true, beautiful, and good. Salt of the earth. The danger, though, is that saltiness might be diluted to the point of being completely ineffective. Like my coffee buried at the back of a cabinet. It can become diluted to the point of being completely ineffective, or it might actually begin to actively cause rot and decay rather than prevent or slow it. There are countless examples throughout the history of the church where that has been the case, and and what a tragedy it is, where not only at times have we not fulfilled our purpose, but at times we have worked against that very purpose. If salt loses its taste, Jesus says, it's no longer good for anything. It doesn't matter if it still looks like salt. It doesn't matter if on the surface it still seems to be a success. It isn't fulfilling its purpose. Might as well trample over the top of it. What's the point? It's sort of like that old cell phone that I know many of you have tucked away in a junk drawer somewhere. I won't ask for confession at this point, but I know you're out there. Technological advances have rendered that 10-year-old phone useless, and still you're hanging on to it. At least I am. It's good for nothing, except to be used maybe as a paperweight, especially if we're talking about that old Nokia brick phone. But what's the point in hanging on to it? It can't fulfill its intended purpose. You might as well throw it into the dumpster. This is obviously a woefully inadequate analogy, but I think you get the point. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its saltiness, it's useless. He also goes on to say, you are the light of the world. The light of the world. There's no point putting a candle that you have lit underneath a basket. It doesn't make sense to turn a flashlight on and then to cover it with a blanket, unless, of course, you're a child at a a sleepover and spooky story time is on the nighttime agenda. And then you do cover the flashlight with a blanket just before you hold it up to the bottom of your chin. We rely upon light. It, It is to be seen. We rely upon light to illuminate treacherous areas for the sake of safe passage. Anybody who has children understands the pain that a lack of light can lead to when you're trying to make a journey across the house and there's a toy uh, covered floor. Light is to be seen. I remember traveling to Venezuela when I was 10 years old and We arrived after dark, and on the the drive from the airport to our lodging for the night, the the night sky was brilliantly lit with thousands of tiny light bulbs in small houses that dotted the mountainside, and it, it was incredibly beautiful at night. It lit up the sky. If those houses, though, had been built in the bottom of the valley on the other side of the mountain, probably wouldn't have seen any light at all, save maybe a dim or faint glow in the sky. Jesus says, in the same way, like a lamp that is giving light to every weary and sleep-deprived parent, I'm looking at you, Landon and Kate, 
giving light to every weary and sleep-deprived parent and making it possible to make that cross-house journey without stepping on a Lego. Like a city that is built on a hill where tiny lights can illuminate the sky, you too let your light shine brightly in the midst of darkness. Refuse to allow the light to be dulled or the salt to be diluted by acquiescing or mimicking the prevailing culture around you. A couple of weeks ago, we sang that children's song together, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. It can sound pretty juvenile, but it's actually not. This is the direct instruction of Jesus. Our lives are supposed to be noticeably different in good, healthy, life-giving ways. Salt and light. Salt and light are quite different from one another. You know, one is tangible, one is not. One makes popcorn much tastier, one does not. But one of the things that salt and light have in common is the fact that they're very noticeable. If you taste a dish that has no salt, it might taste bland and unimpressive. You add a bit of salt to it. It revolutionizes the experience for your taste buds. Or I think about the first time our four-year-old swam in the ocean. I forgot to warn her about the sensation of getting a mouthful of salt water and that how different that was going to be than the chlorinated pool water she was used to guzzling. And the first time she took that gallon gulp of salt water, the look on her face made it very clear she was not happy with that lack of warning. But salt is noticeable. So is light, or it is to be noticeable. As we talked about last week, we are called to be a countercultural people. If the way we live and carry ourselves is not markedly different from the culture around us, then what's the point? If the salt has lost its saltiness. Now, it's important to note that just being noticeable in and of itself is not what we are called to. Just being noticed in and of itself is not virtuous or good. I mean, think about the obnoxious fan base of a rival sports team. Or think of the kid in class who reminds the teacher that they forgot to collect an assignment, one that you did not complete. There's a way to stick out and be noticed that is not good. There's a way to be noticed that is not helpful, holy, or at all what I think Jesus is suggesting here. And texts like this one have been at times taken and twisted and used to excuse, as an excuse to be brash or hateful or an excuse to garner headlines or media attention. We are not, as followers of Jesus, called into a shock jock radio host version of discipleship where the louder and more belligerent we come, become, the more noticeable we are, so we must be doing something right. We are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. But that doesn't mean we are called to be salty, right? 
in the way that term is used culturally. So salt, yes. Salty, not necessarily. Are you with me? The rest of the sermon then reveals what kind of markedly different lives we are to live. If being noticed for being different doesn't look like the rest of the sermon, we have missed the point of letting our lights shine. Shining light can be a really positive thing. It can also be maddening. It can also be damaging. Maybe you've been driving on a curvy backcountry road and a brand new car approached, one of those brand new cars that has headlights that are so bright you've wondered if they've actually harnessed the sun and are shining that directly. You know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you've been driving and somebody sitting in the passenger seat is looking at a phone and the sun hits it in just the right spot and it shines directly into, I'm, that's not an autobiographical complaint at all, but I can imagine what something like that might be like. Something that is noticeable Something that stands out is not automatically a net positive. The behavior that is salty and light-giving light in a good way follows the sermon that we are reading. And to be honest, a lot of it can actually be fairly quiet. Yes, it's noticeable, but it can also exist under the radar in a way. And yet, though it's quiet, though it's under the radar, it can be so striking when it's observed that it causes somebody to take notice. Wait a second, did they just respond graciously to an offense? Wait, do, do they quietly refuse to look as other people as objects for personal gratification? Why are they forgiving that person? Why, why aren't they obsessed with leveling up in terms of possessions? You know, those are not bombastic actions that shock the masses. They're quiet alternatives to the prevailing culture, but those quiet alternatives speak volumes and can shock and intrigue those who see. Being salt and being light is not about us being noticed. It's not about our shininess. It's not about bringing attention to ourselves. Jesus says it is about bringing glory to the Father who is in heaven, the Father who makes this life we are living possible. You know, three weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 1, where that ragtag band of disciples begins to form around Jesus. It was a very grassroots process initiated as one follower of Jesus decides to, after an encounter with Jesus, decides to spread that word. Well, here we find in this text that at times it is not only the spreading of a verbal word that initially might draw somebody else to Christ. Verbal or explicit communication of another kind, I think, should be a part of it eventually. But perhaps the first, perhaps one of the most reliable and effective means of bearing witness to the kingdom is simply living in a way that is consistent with the kingdom in our everyday lives. 
Jesus says this in verse 16. In the same way, so salt and light, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is why the light shines. Leslie Newbingen, the 20th century missiologist, argued that we must live in God's kingdom in such a way that it provokes questions from others for which the gospel is the answer. We live into the kingdom in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. It's not that a verbal answer is uncalled for. It's not example and lifestyle over and against propositional truth. No, we believe that God, the, the one that Jesus refers to as Father, we believe God is worthy of glory. We profess the truth that Jesus is Lord. But it is the example of our lives that often opens the door for that truth to be communicated in a way that it might be received. And so this is one of the things we hope to do week after week as we gather in this room surrounded by our brothers and sisters. As we participate in various practices of worship, reading scripture together, sharing in the Eucharist, maybe even lighting candles, praying with one another, all of those practices are practices that we are trusting over the long haul are forming us, shaping us into the image of Christ, shaping us, changing our values so that they align with the kingdom of God as expressed in this sermon. And this is so important for us, to be in this position where we are being shaped and formed week after week, because the values of a society that are opposed to the kingdom of God are so pervasive that unless we are careful, we begin to absorb them without critique or without pausing to say, well, wait a second, is that really what the good life for a follower of Jesus looks like? Wait a second, is this habit actually healthy for me and for those around me? You know, one practice that I try to incorporate into my prayer life on a near nightly basis toward this end is an exploration of the prayer of examine where I work through moments from the previous day. I think about specific interactions I had with others. I call to mind maybe especially emotional responses I experienced to various situations. I, I try to consider even seemingly unremarkable moments and ask the Holy Spirit to highlight ways in which I have been functioning according to a value system that is contrary to the kingdom of God as described in this sermon. And when the Holy Spirit, and it seems like every night there are moments actions, attitudes from my previous day that have been highlighted. Yes, this is out of alignment with the values of my kingdom. And in those moments, I pray, God, help me to be different. Help me to embody this alternative, but help me to be different in a way that preserves, that preserves truth, goodness, and beauty that enhances rather than destroys or causes decay. 
something we hope that occurs in this place week after week as we gather with the body of Christ, engaging with one another, engaging in these practices, is that we would be formed into the image of Christ. We are being formed in so many different ways. We put ourselves in a posture to come into alignment with the teaching of Jesus that we are reading in Matthew chapter 5, that our lives might continue to be noticeably different salt and light. If the saltiness loses that flavor, it's worthless. Throw it on the ground, trample on top of it. You don't light a candle and put it under a basket. It is to be seen. It is to offer safety and healing for others. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to gather around the table of our Lord and celebrate as he has instructed and commanded that we do. We'll make two lines down these two center aisles. When you get to the front, the words will be spoken over you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. You can take those elements on your own. Um, as we do this today, after you partake in communion, I'm, I'm going to be at the, the back of the room. If, if anybody is in need of special prayer, I'd, I'd love to pray for you. Um, whatever it is. Um, we believe that Jesus is here with us um, and that he is, as he is drawing us into deeper life, deeper into his kingdom, believe that his presence is here and that he wants to meet with us. I believe that's true for you. I trust and pray that you will sense this as you gather around his table, as you commune with him in this meal. Let's, let's pray, and then I'll invite you to the table. Lord, today we pray that you would show us, reveal to us ways in which our lives have lost their saltiness, or maybe even more devastating ways in which our lives have caused decay and rot rather than preventing it. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on us. Forgive us for our sins. Empower us to embody your kingdom ethic. Empower us to continually seek to consciously live under your kingdom reign that we might shine your light of salvation, that we might preserve those things that are true, beautiful, and good, and in so doing reveal the glory of our Father in heaven. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments that you would meet with us in this meal that we share around your table. we partake in these gifts of God for the people of God. May we know you in the bread and the cup today. So we pray, Almighty God, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you revealed the way of eternal life to every race and nation. Pour out this gift anew that by the preaching of the gospel, your salvation may reach to the ends of the earth and that those who see your light 
shining in us might give glory to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Would you join us at the table of our Lord this morning?